welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life Hello humans of triathlon this is Swapnil Chauhan here speaking from Melbourne Australia joined by my two co-hosts Sheila Trelevin from Grimsby Ontario Canada and Carlos aka Charles from London UK and before we get into this week's conversation with our guest we have some news guess what we have got our first ever podcast sponsor yay <laughs> that's right pretty exciting we've been doing this show for 10 11 months now and i don't think we've had like even a single ad of any kind so far because that's just not what the show is about for us and it still isn't but our friend Triathlon Taren has just come out with this amazing triathlon training series, which we wanted to support and get the word out about. So they've come on board as sponsors. So the series is basically an online series of videos and audio files from some of our favorite pro triathletes. There's Lucy Charles, two times Kona runner-up and swim course record holder, along with her husband, Reese Barkley, for the How to Swim videos. There's also Cameron Work, the Kona bike course record holder, for how to cycle videos. And if it wasn't enough, there's Sarah and Ben True on how to run. And guess what? Run, bro. We have Miranda Carfrey, Tim O'Donnell, and their strength coach, Erin Carson, on triathlon strength training. So guys, this is the best of the best of the best. Talking about what they know and do best. Yeah, and all of it has been condensed into these nice, short little videos covering specific areas and topics. And I think whether you're a beginner or whether you've been doing the sport for a while, I think there's a little something for everyone in there. So for more information you, or to get the courses, you can visit humansoftriathlon.com forward slash pro try. So P-R-O-T-R-I. And if you use the code humans of triathlon, you can get 20% off. Honestly, I believe the prices that the courses are at, I mean, it's, it's, it's a complete steal. To, you know, just be able to get an insight into the way these pros think about their sport and the way they do things. So, and yeah, we previously we've had quite a few people ask about how they can support the show and support Humans of Triathlon. Well, this would definitely be one way to do so. So make sure to check out humansoftriathlon.com slash pro try and coupon code Humans of Triathlon for 20% off. All right, now let's get into this week's episode. It's going to be a good one. All right, guys, I want to tell you three things about today's uh, hot podcast guest. Firstly, she's a warrior. So 10 years ago, she was hit by a car, was uh, breaking her leg femur, right knee, ankle, a lot of bones, and even getting a blood clot in her brain. And this included the classic movie scene, you know, where the doctor said, you will never be able to go back to sports again, right? However... If I was a listener by right now, I would guess that she did something good because she's here in the hot podcast. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spill it for you. Secondly, she is a winner. Okay, I'm gonna spill it a little bit. Despite the movie episode described before and the multiple criticisms that she received for being a woman trying to succeed in a male dominant sport in her home country, results 
speak for themselves. So let me read out the resume, right? So let's see, for example, uh, four-time Ironman 70.3 World Championship qualifier. Oh, okay. Six-time Ironman World Championship Kona qualifier and current national record holder in her country for Ironman with nine hours and 38 minutes. I mean, drop the mic, right? And third, she's from one of my favorite places in the world. It's a unique place, country, city, island, all in one. A, multi, a unique mm -hmm. multicultural place with amazing food. You have all this chili crab, this nasty lemak, this freshly baked prata. Okay, I'm getting hungry, folks. Sorry. <laughs> you have these tall skyscrapers. And by the way, it is illegal to consume uh, chewing gum. A bit strange, but hey, <laughs> it's a free world. It's a place that I had the blessing to visit on every odd year this decade. So 2011, 13, 15, 17, and now December 19th to complete the cycle. So folks, today, Humans of Triathlon, the hot burning podcast, our guest, also known as Ling Ultra Gal, live from Singapore, the awesome full-time triathlete, Chu Ling Er. Welcome, Ling. Hello, everyone. So happy to be here. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> How are you? Great. Oh my God, the introduction made me so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Charles likes to, he gives good intros. He does. <laughs> no need to be nervous either because, you know. Uh, it was great. It was great. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you in Singapore, out of the, I haven't visited too many countries, but out of the few that I have visited, for some reason, I, I don't know what it was about it, but it's definitely one of, my, one of the countries I love as well. It's very clean. Sorry? Singapore is very, very clean. Yeah, yeah it is clean. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to go back to the, the introduction, chewing gum thing. So why is there no chewing gum? Is it is that one of the reasons, like, you guys are very clean? So chewing gum is something that, is there a reason there's no chewing gum? When you first started, I was super young, or maybe I'm not even born yet. So, But I figure it must be... Yeah, to, to keep the environment clean because everyone was just spitting it on the floor. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, it is pretty gross when you come across the chewing gum on the ground, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ling, you started off your season with uh, a win um, this year at Colombo 70.3 just a couple of months ago. Was that your first race of the season? Yes, it is. How, how, how was the race? I mean, obviously you won it, but like, did you go into that thinking that you were gonna, you were going to win? Um, last year when it first opened uh, in Colombo, Sri Lanka, so I signed up for it because I've never been to Sri Lanka and it's quite cool to go there. I, I won the overall last year and the organizer was kind enough to give me a, a slot for this year. And yeah, because this year they were actually promoting for the women's for try uh, by giving extra slots to the World Championship for the ladies qualifying. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so... Yeah, I have a great race, um, very, very good um, race to actually boost my confidence for the whole season. So actually, it's the first time um, for the last two or three years that I came off the bike um, thinking I, I might lose the race in, in Asia race. So, um, but I, I actually ran very well and I, and I got, the, yeah, got the overall like on the last 1km. So that would have made for quite an exciting race, I would imagine then. Yeah, it is. So I have to make up six minutes for the, for the 19 km, for almost 19 km run. So are you a chaser then? Do you like to chase or do you like to lead when, you, uh, when you're when you racing? 
good question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I feel very stressed when I got uh, chased after also most of the races. But I'm quite lucky. Uh, my husband is always on the course and the run course is so much easier for him to give me splits. Mm-hmm. And let you know like how close you are, how close somebody else is to you. Is he able to tell you that as well? Yeah, he's he's really good at doing all that. He was a racer himself last time. Okay, does he do triathlons? Uh, mostly cycling, but he did one half. So you guys train together? Um, because he ho- holds a full-time job, so a regular office job. So he only trains on the weekend. Okay. Yeah, it's quite hard for them to wake up pretty early on a weekday, train and go for eight hours of working. Yeah, that makes for a, a long, a long day for sure. So, you know, like, take us back, like, growing up in Singapore, what was it? How What was the introduction to sport like? And yeah, like, when and how did you begin sport? So we are, um, I'm a runner in high school. So in secondary school, back then, no parents will actually um, let their kids in Singapore to be very serious in sports. Um, so it's usually like once a week, I'll do it after school. But when I went to poly and I, I got injured running and I picked up swimming from a very good friend. Um, and then the, the multi-sport just started in Singapore. That was when I started. Uh, joined swim run events when I recovered from my run injury and at the finishing line I actually met a lot of multi-sports um, endurance athletes who actually travel overseas for Ironman and half Ironman and in 2007 um, I think two years after I graduated Singapore Aviva half Ironman actually had their first race in Singapore and then I mean Ironman had their first race in Singapore and I joined and I enjoyed it so Ever since then, I, I, I've been doing it till now. Is the Ironman in Singapore still going on or did they stop that? Oh, no. It lasted for five years and it stopped. Okay. Since the casino opened up. Oh, really? That was the reason? Yeah, because they have to... They can't close the highway anymore. Oh, come <laughs> and on. And there's, there's not much road in Singapore for you to... That's true. ...do a 90k bike. So, <laughs> so it's straight from the airport um, to the city. So with the tourism, hotel, casino building up, and Marina Bay Sand, Garden by the Bay, yeah, they stopped doing the race anymore. That's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> but totally understandable, a small place, yeah, in terms of, of biking and things like that. So is that hard for you guys to 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 find good cycling routes and things like that and in regards to, obviously, safety as well? Um, yeah, that's why we have to bike out really early before the work, um, the traffic starts. So usually I'm out about 4, 4.30 a.m. and be home before 7 on weekdays. Weekends is when we go out for longer rides with bigger groups and it's safer also. Yeah, actually on Instagram, I sort of follow a number of triathletes in Singapore. And on one hand, I have always felt so envious because they, they seem to be cycling all the time, like freely on the street. They see, oh, it looks like a cyclist uh, country, right? But then what you don't realize, and it's something that you just mentioned now, is that most of the time, the videos and pictures you see on Instagram are in the dark. So that means that people <laughs> really need to wake up super early in order to catch those, uh, like you say, those uh, traffic-less times, yeah. A common meeting time for the cycling group in Singapore on the weekdays is about 5 a.m. So you're leaving home about 4.30, 4.45. Mm-hmm. 
445. Exactly. <laughs> I, I read about this crazy ride that you did like four times around Singapore. I believe it was 500 kilometers in less than 18 hours. When was that? I wasn't able to... Oh, that, that was in uh, last year, Christmas Eve. Oh, okay. So it wasn't long ago. Talk to us about that. Like, yeah. what was that all about and how was that ride? Because I've been um, doing the Rafa 500 for four years already. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So there was one time when I was doing it, I was thinking, why don't I just do it at one shot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On the start of the... Because it start on the Christmas Eve midnight and you can finish the 500 all the way to uh, New Year Eve. Yeah. So, yeah, then I told my husband, why don't I just, with my friend, you know, they meet me at different points when I do do this ride in Singapore. And then I'll just finish 500 at one time. Since it's off-season, I got not much stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Then he's like, since you're doing it, why don't you do it for charity? So the idea actually came in um, pretty late after Kona, so this year. So we, we won't be able to do any fundraising, but we can create awareness for them. So we went ahead with the idea, yeah. That's that's really cool. That's an interesting time to, to do the ride. Is there a reason why you chose there or why it's Christmas Eve through New Year's? Or I think the reason behind Rafa and Shrava doing this uh, challenge is to make sure people are still constantly training in the winter. Okay. Yeah, encourage people, I mean. Get on your bike, put down your eggnog, and Ram, get on your bike. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, just talk to, like, how is that ride? So, why do you choose to do it under 18 hours? Was there a reason you chose that specific time? I want to do it average at 30 km per hour. Okay. And then we were thinking, like, probably every 70, 80 k, I have a stop. So we add up the stop time. So mm. we think that 18 hours is a good time. I mean, riding and resting time. So, How's the experience? Because I saw, I, I believe there's a video out on it by Red Bull or someone. And I saw that you were in a ton of pain. And <laughs> like, how was that experience like? Um, the longest I did before that was 250. So the first 250 and to, to 300k actually is not so bad. Um, actually, I quite... I'm quite surprised how my body hold up until the last um, two laps, about the last 70k. Yeah, everywhere is so sore. Actually, um, from 300km onwards, because it's the first time I'm so long on TT bike. So my forearm, which um, the area where it's resting on the aero pad, was having a lot of trouble. I got a lot of abrasions um, and it was bruising. And then, But I just want to be aero and, and finish it fast. So I was shifting around, probably just putting it under my wrist and yeah, just ignore the pain and think about getting to a place, getting to 500. Were you able to complete it? Yeah, I did finish in 17 and a half hours. Awesome. So how do you compartmentalize the pain? So you be in a lot of pain that way, but you're able to still focus and keep going. So do you have like a... A strategy to try to move past the pain or what do you what do you do to keep going through that kind of um adversity like you're talking about your arms on the pads i know what that feels like but <laughs> <laughs> well having to break both my legs right took eight months of my life because i was basically on a wheelchair and a walker and then the crutches after that i always feel that nothing is worse than breaking both legs Nothing can be worse than breaking both legs. So 
<laughs> so this is nothing the the kind of pain that I'm doing with right now doing the five hundred, and then I think of the kids that I'm um I'm raising awareness for the small issue, and then I think of the people that's been helping me along the way, my husband, my family who's been so supportive and. No, my friends, they all really took their time down at different timing to actually come down and ride with me during the 500k. I really got nothing to complain and I got I got all the best support, all the best gears, I, everything working. You know, I just need to finish this ride for everyone. You, that's awesome. And uh, could you, you just talked about, you know, how you broke both legs. Can you walk us through, are you comfortable walking us through the accident and what happened uh, to you back back then in 2009? Okay, so 2009, I did the Aviva Half Ironman in Singapore. Mm-hmm. The year before that, I heard there's this thing called the World Championship Slot. So it was my first Half Ironman. And 2009, I actually um, competed to try to get a slot. So I got a slot. I was training for it three weeks before the World Championship, my first World Championship. I got hit by a car. So I was going straight, but um, at about 5.30 a.m. in the morning, going straight on a traffic light. Um, a car just came out from a steep road from the left, and he didn't see me. So it hit me from the left. Oh, my goodness. That's awful. <laughs> yeah, broke my left femur, my right knee and ankle. And then I broke his windscreen and I flew. I actually saw a, uh, you have, there's an article there um, on the internet I found with the picture of your X-rays with the broken femur and um and then and then the picture after you had the surgery to fix it like i can't even imagine the pain that you were in looking at that picture and were you by your were you riding on your own when yes, you, when this happened yes i'm on my own <laughs> so was it did the you know the driver call 911 or how did your husband find you know how did they come to find you? Oh, back then I was still single. Oh, so okay. I think about 23 years old. Yeah. So young. 22 years old. Yeah, 22 years old. <laughs> what, how was your road to recovery like? Because I'm very young. So the doc- after fixing the femur and they, they cast my right ankle. Yeah, I, I basically can't put any weight on my left femur for eight months. So they have to fix up my right leg. So they gave me a uh, air cast so I can still walk around with my right leg, even though my my ankle is broken. So um, two weeks of really intense rehab. Um, because of my age, they didn't want me to stay in the hospital for too long. They feel it's depressing. And then after that two weeks, um, they sent me back home. And then basically I was doing or the rehab three or four times a day because nothing much I can do it since I, I can't really move around much. So eight months off off walking, that's a long time. So, you know, did you at any point during that time feel that maybe, you know, your triathlon career was kind of over or were you constantly, you know, thinking I've got to get back on, you know, back on the horse, back on the bike? How What was your mindset? Yeah, back then I wasn't serious about triathlon. It's more of a hobby. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I was thinking of what I want to do because um I was actually working already and and then I just um left my job because of the world championship. Yes. And then um thinking of changing a career, uh, I mean study, going back to study. Yeah, so when I 
I started swimming once the wound all dry up, like probably two months after the surgery. I swam almost every day um, till I'm able to walk. So I bet that really improved your swimming. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> yeah. And I got really? to know a group of um, endurance swimmer, which quite interesting is, and they got me to sign up for a swimathon where I got to swim from this small island in Malaysia um, back to the main island. It's about 6.5 km swim. Oh. That's a- yeah. Then I realized that the race day is actually like a week for my big review from the doctor, whether can I still walk, uh, can, can I get off the crutches or not. So did you go to the race? Yeah, I did. So the, the doctor cleared me a week before the race and I went there. Um, I remember I have to limb or leave lim the whole beach up to the finishing line huh. um, to finish the race, yeah. <laughs> but you did it. But it's a good experience, yeah. So my swim actually really improved a lot during that, um, that six, six months of swimming. So how did you ease back into triathlon? Because you said it was more of a hobby at that point. Yes, yeah, so after doing the swim and uh, finishing it and I got the feeling back at the finishing line, Immediately when I came back to Singapore, I saw out for a half Ironman <laughs> without thinking about how am I going to train. I, I didn't even have a bike yet. I, know, I haven't even start walking properly. And the race is in four months time in Philippines. Wow. Yeah, but I'm so excited. So like after finishing a race, I said, I, I think I can do this. <laughs> so then you got a bike. You must have, did you have someone help help you get back in terms of a plan on how to run or get going again? Because I've been a runner um, since I'm young. So I, I was like thinking, I, I have a lot of plans already in my head. Like how am I going to start since right now I'm, I'm starting like a fresh piece of paper again. Yeah, so I got a bike. I got a bike and I got, I got faster because um, I managed to get a better bike than the like, when when I had the accident. Cycling was so much easier because it's no impact. And I was lucky back then when I came back, um, I got to know this group, um, Small Asia Cycling Group. So my friend will actually come and pick me up and then bring me to the, the meeting point and then I'll do a ride with them. And then they were very nice, you know, they heard about my accident and then they really took really good care of me during all the weekend rides. And weekdays I was just training alone in a trainer at home. It was the running part that is really tricky because I was still able to only jog up to 8 to 10k just um, four months after the accident and that was a week before the race. Wow. So how did the race go? So my plan was to swim really hard, bike really hard and just hope for the best for the run. Probably I'll just have to walk to the finishing line. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to finish a half Ironman. (laughs) To have the finish life feeling back again. And that day, it was really hot, about 40 degrees in Philippines. Oh, gosh. Oh. <laughs> so I swam really hard, bike really hard. And I was actually the first um, in my age group to get off the bike. And during the run, I was just focusing, putting one leg in front of another, focusing my form because I'm still relying a lot on my right side. And I didn't realize that all the other ladies in my age group were actually walking already. But I'm so focused on having my small little job, putting one feet in another, 
in front of another. When I went to finish line, they told me that I actually won my age group. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that, that was when I really believed that, you know, you never give up until you <laughs> cross the finishing line because you really don't know what will happen. Yeah. That, that's incredible. Like to to have those kind of injuries to not not be like really doing weight on your legs for eight months and then to go win your age group at a 70.3 Ironman. That's a, that's incredible. Just speak. Her first one too. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But you're yeah. right. You don't know what's happening out there on the course. So you really should never give up. I, I like that message. And when was that time that, uh, it was obviously you, you came out of the accident and, and then you do this, uh, sort of leap of faith to sign up for this race in only four months. But before it was just a hobby, right? Mm. So I guess my question is, when did you decide, right, that it was going to be a full-time thing, that this is just going to be your new career? Was it something that you decided when you took that leap of faith to do this uh, half Ironman in Philippines? Or was right after it when you won your age group? Or was something afterwards? Uh, it was probably two or three years after that. I think 2000. End of 2013. Okay, so it was, this was more like a, let's just have a, it was more like to try to get at this race, maybe this Philippines race is more about getting out of that uh, sort of accident, uh, sort of a state and maybe prove to yourself you know, and, and everyone that uh, nothing is impossible pretty much. Yes, and I, I still feel it's a, a deep inside of me, it's a unfinished business that I didn't I didn't get to do the World Champs um, 70.3. Well, now you've done <laughs> the World Champs many times. <laughs> exactly. So is there, going back to, to um, Charles's question, is there was there something specific in, in you that said, hey, you know what, I think I can make a career of triathlon and just be a triathlete and train and not have to worry about another job? Was there someone that coaxed you there? Was it uh, people coming to you with sponsors? What was it that 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 gave you the the confidence to move forward just to do triathlon as your career? After finishing my world championship in half Ironman, I actually made a plan um, to do my first full Ironman. So... Um, I actually started for Korea Ironman um, in 2011. And during my first full Ironman, I actually qualified for the uh, Kona full Ironman. So I went ahead, do my Kona. And because it was so close to Korea, it's like two and a half months apart, I didn't do well in Kona. And I told myself that I need to come back and do it well the next time. So the following year, I went up to a, older age group and it got super competitive in 2012 and 13. Um, I was winning races in uh, a lot of half Ironman races in Southeast Asia and Asia and I still couldn't get a slot um, in the new age group for the full Ironman where I traveled to Australia and Japan. I always get second for my age group. So in end of 2013, um, a good friend of mine from Small Asia actually asked, do you want to radi- uh, race seriously and help involve with the kids, you know, spread awareness, have their brand in the wild race? And I thought about it for very long. Um, you know, and then I have a, uh, a boyfriend already, uh, which is now my husband. He was actually very, very supportive also. He asked me, you know, 
not a lot of people can actually come back from a bad accident and do this very well. It, it must be showing you something. If you want to do it, you should do it now when you're young. So, so I went ahead and do it. That's you know you are you are a very lucky woman to have the support that you have and uh, to be able to go after what you want while you're young. I think it's amazing that you you made that choice. So you mentioned in your your bio that you've received a lot of criticism because you're you're a woman in a in a man's sport in your particular country. So what does that look like? that criticism and how did you how do you fight through it and how did you overcome the naysayers yeah so when i first um announced that i'm training this full-time it which is not common in um, in a lot of asia uh, countries especially singapore we doesn't have any full-time endurance athlete people were like saying it's not right you know you're supposed to get a job do this uh, as a hobby and then have have a standard life <laughs> and then when i win races and all that people will comment oh it's because she's training full-time that's why she can do well hmm. i just feel very negative you know it's like as, a, as an athlete and you know that you really have to spend a lot of time and every session you have to put your heart and soul in in order to achieve what you want to achieve and it's not easy you know to be waking up 4 a.m every day if you give any one of them to try it probably last them for two weeks and then they'll just give up <laughs> so to constantly doing this weeks after weeks after weeks and then keep doing uh, it's a lot going in so they really don't understand and and it's very angry but one of my really good training friends she actually told me that you actually don't need to be bothered about all this because at the end of the day even if you are not good or even if you are just a, a regular athlete but if your if your family and the people that you love are the one that actually encouraging you and supporting you, you should be happy because all you need to bother is people that you love, what they are feeling, what what other people think doesn't shouldn't be bothering me. So I'm thinking, yeah, my family and my husband was very supportive, and that's all I need. Yeah. So I don't need to really bother. Can I do this? Will I be good? You know, just follow your heart since you have all the support. Hmm. Love that. Yeah, I mean, you can't stop doing what you love and what makes you happy just because of what some other people may think or say, right? Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, you know, those people, they don't mean anything to you. It's just words. Yeah. Yeah. So, so over the years, but have you seen that perspective change in the country? Uh, I mean, you meet you meet really positive people so very encouraging people and then you try to hang around with uh, training partners who are really good positive you know you just change your mindset but because um endurance sports you 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 spend a lot of time yourself and with the same certain number of people so i choose my friends and training partner to hang around nowadays so it kind of like um helped me like block all the negativity away and my husband has been really good to actually help me have like a like a shell you know me being in a shell so I, i'll be yeah yeah able to train and not thinking so much most of the time see do you have in in singapore because you are the endurance 
female athlete, you know, that probably everybody knows, um, a, a younger following, like a, a bunch of, like, are you in, find that you're inspiring children to, or younger kids to get into the sport of triathlon or into sports more so than they would have maybe a few years ago? Yeah, once in a while, I'll try to run clinics for my sponsors. But it's hard because I'm doing the long distance part and the National Sports Council doesn't support Ironman because it's not Olympic sports. So the shorter distance um, guys who are the younger generation, I don't really get to interact with any one of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm basically just doing things on my own on our side. But I, uh, I do meet a lot of youngsters um, when I run clinics um, and you know I try to encourage them, give them some tips. But at the end of the day, I still feel that I'm very new to all these things. I am in. I'm still learning myself. I think those like your results will speak for themselves, right? Once you, if you do well, I mean, that the news obviously gets out and that in turn just helps inspiring other people even though you're not doing it directly and you are very fast 938 iron man have to say that speaks loudly <laughs> so so your trading works you have sponsors and i don't know if you're able to share that with us but we just noticed that you're no longer with specialized bikes so i wasn't sure if there was a another bike sponsor that you have that you're working with or, or are you saving that to share later? Yeah, nothing is confirmed yet. So because I'm, um, yeah, I just ended a contract with Specialized last month after five years. Yeah, we are still looking around and, you know, Specialized Asia, Southeast Asia, they have a different um, direction now. So I feel you know, it's better that for me to, have a change after five years okay yeah nothing is confirmed right now so i'm actually trying out a, a few bikes that has to be fun <laughs> yeah new bikes but i think at least now with your sort of uh reputation and your results and your image i think it's most likely it's gonna be much more easier now now you'll be able to choose uh, you maybe not you. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, fine. You, you'll be mine. <laughs> yeah. But for me, um, I believe in relationship. Uh, for sponsors, most of my sponsors are long term, and I really know most of them. Like even their family, I have, I have coffee, I have dinner with them. I go to their company, D and D most of the time. It's like a family. So for me, mainly, it's not just I take and that's it, bye-bye. It's like I want to build a relationship and a family with my sponsor. Yeah, definitely. That's obviously the right way to go about it. So how important is a factor of having your own custom bike paint and <laughs> custom kits? Because you have specialized ones, to. <laughs> your specialized kits and bike um, combo, they were just like on point. Yeah, but I'm quite lucky. I have a very good friend, Pain Extreme. He actually used to paint for motorbikes, but after um, the last few years doing for me, for my helmet and my bike ride, he's right now focusing fully on bicycle, wow. custom paint. People around Asia are actually flying in just to the airport to pass him their frame and fly off. Wow. <laughs> and the waiting list right now is about three months. Nice. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. That's amazing. But their their paint work 
paint job is amazing. Oh yeah, your bike is beautiful. I was, it, I was <laughs> looking at it, saying, "Well, you know, if you want to send it over here, like, <laughs> I'm sure one of us would love to have it." <laughs> so, but your kits are really cool too. Yeah, I, I was lucky that Two XU actually would design the the suit accordingly to what the painter has for me on the bike every year. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So the whole project actually will start about February, March every year. The main aim is to get it out by Asia Champs around uh, Half Ironman around August or the World Championship in Kona. Well, we all know that matching kits and bikes are faster. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't do well, at least you look look faster. <laughs> you feel good. Yeah. It's true. You look good. You feel good. Yeah. You know, hopefully that transfers into results at the end too. So. Which definitely has. And it's easy for my husband to spot me also on the race. <laughs> huh, yeah. <laughs> so what does your the rest of your season look like? Um, I'm actually training for the Danang Half Ironman uh, Asia Championship. That will be my fourth time going back Danang in Vietnam. Are you aiming for Kona this year as well? Yeah, I really got the slot in Ironman Basseton last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that would be the big goal. So last time you were 10th at Kona, weren't you? Or was that last last year? 2017. Yeah, 2017. 2017. What's the aim this time? Top five to stand in the podium. <laughs> yeah, hopefully everything go well. So. Do you think that just because you do all these um, Southeast the Asian races that you, you you're comfortable in Kona in terms of the heat and stuff like that. The first time I ever did Kona is the wind that I haven't seen. I I never experienced before. In Southeast Asia, I've never seen that kind of wind before. So a lot of the first timer from Singapore or probably neighborhood countries when they go there, I always tell them that really really be careful of the wind. You know, go out. Go there earlier, go out there to Harvey and and try out the, the 11 a.m., 10 a.m. wind coming from the Pacific Ocean because that's the one that really killed me. So it's hard to, to get that kind of condition in, in Southeast Asia. So usually I'll, I'll go there a month earlier to Kona to actually train and get used to the wind. Yeah, you've been there a few times now, so I'm sure you are aware of the conditions and know how to tackle them. There's so much factor to look at. Every year, yeah, I've been trying to perfect it slowly and slowly. I've been improving the timing over there every year. So hopefully this year will be a better, most successful one. I've heard that. I've heard that um, a lot of people say when you go to your first Kona, it's it's generally not to do your best time. It's, it's just <laughs> to finish. <laughs> and then... Yeah. And sometimes your second Kona too, <laughs> but then after that, you kind of, you get used to what to expect and you kind of know what to do and you can tweak things. Do you find your nutrition and things like that um, you've had to change or like, was it more than just the wind or were there some other things that really kind of hit you on that Kona race? Yeah. The recent Asia races is all rolling start for the swim. So I, I, it's just hard to suddenly jump back into mass swim start again. Especially swimming is not my strongest. Um, I get really, really nervous on the swim start, on the race day, Kona. And then 
it, I always underperform in Kona compared to all other races in, um, that I do in Asia. I just um, need to be able to have a breakthrough for Kona Swim and probably get in the front pack where I go on my strongest leg on the bike. Um, because I've been chasing a lot the past few years on the bike, somehow um, use up a lot of my legs and during the second run, second half of the run, I, I usually uh, blew up a little bit, yeah, struggling to come back. So do you have a, a strategy that you would share share with us in terms of how you think, you know, how you're going to improve that swim? Yeah, I've been enjoying a master swim class in Singapore twice a week. They are pure swimmers and they, they are really comfortable having like seven, eight people in one lane, mm-hmm. which is something I'm not comfortable <laughs> because most of the time I'm swimming alone. You know, I got the whole lane to myself. I'm just finishing my, my uh, coach program. But this having to go for two sessions a week, it's, it's really helping me to cope with all the tension in the pool, you know, swimming with people just beside you, and in front of you, behind of you and trying to keep up. Um, yeah, so I hope by October, I'll be so ready for Kona. Yeah, I bet you will. Swimming with a, a pack of swimmers is always um, a good way to get ready for the beating that you get when you get into the swim start at a race. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching you at Kona. I also have a question, uh, Link, regarding your choice to to do you know, long distance in general. No, I, I think uh, you, you usually see uh, all these pros that they start you know, doing uh, Olympics and slowly they start uh, as they grow older, so somehow they transition into longer distances. But, uh, but you started from scratch and so just do a half Ironman after my accident, boom. And after that, it was just, uh, I think you know, from what I've seen is uh, all these world championship qualifiers for 70.3 and Kona year after year. So what, what made you make that choice no, of going long distance? rather like i said before the accident it was just a hobby and i didn't really thought of doing it very long so i thought just do a few half the world championship and that's it but after coming back the accident i do very well opportunity opens and i feel endurance is what i want to target after the accident because i don't feel that i have speed for the first two or three years coming back because of the injuries and still trying to perfect the way I run and walk from the accident. So endurance will be very suitable for me, um, having a steady pace but going long instead of sprinting and doing all the surges and all that. Do you think you would enjoy doing short distance <laughs> if you could or you think, no, I am just a long distance material? Last year, I actually tried a sprint, really sprint distance and I hate it. <laughs> so it was my husband who signed up for me and he was on the bike when I was running the it was a 3k run 18k bike and a 3k run so the last 3k run he was on the bike out on the run course I was just cursing and swearing at him all the way to the finishing run <laughs> it was so painful oh my god <laughs> yeah and then uh, I couldn't run for a week after that because I actually um, injured my one of my better tussle on the uh, on my right feet. Oh, okay. Yeah, from the transition, you know, so it was just fast and furious on go, go, go. 
yeah, the whole way. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told him if I want to do Iron Man, focus on Iron Man, I, I, I should avoid doing that. Because, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Fair enough. So have you ever considered um, moving into the the pro tr- uh, division at all? Yes, I do. But I feel that my timing is not up there yet. So if I'm able to bring down both my half and full Ironman to my target, right, then I will turn pro. If not, yeah, I'll be happy just racing as an age grouper because it really all depends on how I improve every year whether I can hit the target time before I turn pro. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to be going in, um, fighting for the last place, of course. (laughs) I want to be there, you know, be um, able to be a contender to actually give um, the better pros (laughs) a good run. Yeah, I get it. So we had a a guest on a few weeks ago, Fabio Spiteri, and he has gone from the Ironman to the double Ironman, the triple Ironman, and and beyond now. (laughs) Yeah. I know you're still young, but you're, you know, you started endurance young. So have you, has that ever crossed your mind for the future about, you know, extending that distance that you're doing right now? Uh, Not really. (laughs) Okay. Why I do the 500 KM is because I was, I was heavily involved with helping uh, Red Bull Singapore last year. And I came across a um, video where this guy swam a lap around UK. So he was telling me that, you know, the reason why he's doing this is for himself. You know, he just want to know how it feels like to be doing things that people said he can't do. And for me, it kind of like remind me like, why am I doing this in the first place? So it first started half Ironman, then full Ironman, then right now I'm targeting Kona every year. And it's a lot of mental drain and a, you need a lot of motivation to keep training year after year, you know. That kind of training that we're going through, seven hours ride, three hours run, training 25 to 30 hours a week. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so when I do the 500, when I during my off-season, right, it's mainly because I want to challenge myself and I believe that when I finish a 500, I will have the feeling that it is so good that I want to have that feeling back. So I will constantly train hard to, to find that feeling in an Ironman race. I have never thought of doing anything more than a full Ironman right now because I just want to focus on bettering my time and see if I can turn pro in the next two or three years. It's a good goal to have. Yeah. It's good you know you know what you want and you know yourself. Cause I don't know, I think it can be we can be easily led down different paths if we're not focused on on our specific goal. Yeah. But you really don't know what will happen to you the next day. So just focus on one goal at a time. Yeah, when you reach that goal, then you go on to another goal. It seems like that bike crash has really put things into perspective for you. Yeah, it made me cherish um, every day right now when I get to train, especially when I get really tired. I think of the eight months where I don't get to train. Yeah, I'll just go out even if how tired am I because I don't know the next day why I'll be able to do it again. Mm. So like as we wrap things up here just a final few questions to take us to the end 
So what's the message you would want people listening to take away from your story? Mm, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> but today I would just want to tell people to don't be too bothered by um, what other people think about you. Like I say, um, as long as the people that you can, you love, support you and totally agrees with what you do, just put your heart in and follow what you think is true. Okay, and are there any people or brands you'd like to give a shout out to? Yes, um, Smile Asia. Um, I've been a sports ambassador for um, six years already. And I really want to thank King for helping me all these years, you know, allowing me to represent their brand, allowing me to go to their missions during my off-season and involved with a lot of their um, events, activities in Southeast Asia. You know, they, the kids actually, doing the missions, I learned so much, I see so much. The kids actually encouraged me a lot of my training session, a lot um, doing my races. Uh, why am I doing this? Why am I suffering? A lot of the pain that I'm going through is nothing near to what the kids are going through. And also, um, 2XU, Newton, uh, Singapore Distributors, uh, Key Power International, they've been with me for almost like six or seven years or so. Really very supportive. And Great Bull Singapore for helping me doing my 500k. Uh, featuring it uh, on video and showing people what actually uh, am I doing uh, as an endurance athlete, which is not very common in Southeast Asia. Yeah, my family and my husband are really very supportive and I'm really grateful and fortunate to have them. And every day um, when I'm training, I just think of them and think how fortunate am I. So I will not take all this for granted. Awesome. Okay, and before we ask our last question, tell everyone listening where they can follow you online. Oh, yes. My Instagram account at Ling Altrager or my Facebook page, Chulinger. So these are two main uh, platforms that can actually follow me. You know, if there's any question, you can just pop a, a message. I'll reply as soon as possible. Great. Okay, and our last question is, why do you try? You know, doing one... One spot is um, too normal already. So a few challenge I prefer perfecting the tree of it. <laughs> awesome. All right, Ling, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying. <laughs>